0: Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Becker's Facilities, high pressure washing, facility maintenance, builders clean, and commercial sanitizations. They do it all. Check them out at Becker'sFacilities.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. Where today we're joined by former Cricket Australia wicketkeeper Brad Haddon. Welcome, Brad.
1: Max, how you going, mate? Good yourself? Very well. You busy?
0: Yep, yeah. Are you busy?
1: Mate, I am. I've um yeah, I'm just hoping this second wave of COVID doesn't come through, but I've just finished kids sport. So we're having a, a relaxing afternoon at home.
0: Nice, nice. So Brad, can you tell us about your childhood and your family growing up as a kid? And what sports you played and what like did you like and do?
1: Yeah, I was lucky. I grew up in the country. Um, I had a very blessed childhood, um, to be honest. I was one of three siblings. I was the oldest. My other two brothers are Michael and Christopher. Um, yeah, and we, we played all sports. It, it wasn't just cricket. It would be cricket, um, cricket, tennis, swimming in the summer. And and in the winter, I would play the rugby league, rugby union, AFL. So we were very sport, sporty orientated. And living up in the the country, you had that that freedom to... To go out and know uh, you had to come home when the the lights in the street came back on. So I had a very blessed childhood growing up in the country.
0: Uh you joined the Australian National University Grad Cricket Club at the age of sixteen. Uh, what was that like for you as a kid who was playing first grade cricket?
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a bit daunting, um, to be honest, to start with. I, I've only ever played two two grades. I know a lot of people work their way through the grades from fifth grade to fourth to third to second, right up to to first grade. But I, I went straight from playing fifth grade cricket in, in Queenie and to, to being noticed by a guy called Greg Irvine, um, who offered me a spot at, at ANU in, in first grade. So yeah, I was only 15. And it was a bit daunting um, walking in um, with the... With all the men around and, and getting used to, to playing straight away at that, at that level. But I had a really supporting team. Um, I made some mistakes on, on the way, but I learned a, a lot in, in those first years. I think one of the biggest part of my development was playing with men so young um, and, and learning how to deal with that and deal with different situations when I was put under pressure.
0: Uh, when you did make that transfer... From Queen Bean to Anu, how did you deal with the Queen hierarchy, for example, the Frost brothers, and um, were they tough <laughs> on you?
1: <laughs> he, he got good research, no, they tried to be they talked a lot, but they couldn 't really back it up on the field so no I, I it was okay. I was only a young kid, so i didn 't get um, caught up too much in that but the the one currency I did have to um, to make sure you silence everyone was the way you performed on the field so when dealing with all those hierarchy, as you say, the best way to deal with that is, is to perform. And they never got the better of a um, and in my time in any finals. And, and I remember beating them into a uh, couple of finals. So I think the best way I could deal with that was with my silence and go out there and perform.
0: <laughs> when did you realise that you could make a career out of playing cricket or realise that you knew you were good enough to take it really to the next level?
1: Yeah, that's an, an interesting one. I remember... I did all my schooling in, in Queenby at Carabaugh High School. And and in year 10, I was about to move to St Edmunds College to finish my last few years at school. And at that same time, I got the opportunity to play first grade at ANU. And and with that meant, if, if I had went to St Edmunds, I would have had to play school cricket for them and, and forfeit the opportunity to to play um, with ANU. And I remember sitting down with my family at the time, my mum and dad, and we had to make a decision about what was the best way to go? And, and that was probably the, the one time then I had to make a real decision. And, and I remember my dad sort of saying, oh, I think we've got to give him the best opportunity he can. He's got, he's got some talent here in this sport. And, and I think this might be the best way to develop it. So that was really the first time I had to make a decision and really start started to think about whether uh, cricket could be a career and whether I was good enough.
0: Um, early on in your career, you made a move from Queenbeyan to ANU oh sorry what did you expect coming into ACT Comets in 1993 and what have they done for you over the period of time that you've been with them
1: yeah I think I was blessed um to be honest and I was in a really really lucky period in not only Canberra cricket and the Comets but also in Australian cricket because the Comets had the opportunity to to go into the the national one day competition um to play New South Wales and South Australia so I was lucky enough. I was coming into a bit of form around that time, and, and I was had uh, been playing Australian 19s, and I was trying to make my as a cricketer And a lot of guys at my age are trying to get picked for first grade in Sydney or a second eleven New South Wales team to to get noticed and one day go on to to play for the state. But when everyone was tussling for positions there, because I was in ACT, I had the opportunity to go straight into that domestic competition. So. My exposure came probably a lot earlier than a lot of guys my age because I had the opportunity to play in that national comp um, and play with some um, really great um, players from Canberra. It worked really hard to get that opportunity. So I, I, was, I was at the right place at the right time. So they didn't give us much of an opportunity to, to win many games, but the experience was um, something that's held me in good stead throughout my whole career. But we're lucky enough to get over Victoria a couple of times and, and that was a really good feeling, as you know.
0: What type of confidence would that give you um, after beating Victoria? Or did that give you?
1: Oh, I think the, the confidence, I gave you is just that you belonged at that level and you can make a difference. Um, no matter when you start, when you go up the levels, there's always a bit of vulnerability about the the steps you go through, whether, you, whether you're good enough, the self-doubt in your head, whether you can compete at that level. And I remember that team had the likes of Dean Jones and, Brad Williams, Brad Brad Hodge, and some some pretty um, big names in Australian cricket. So to to perform well on that stage just gave me the confidence to say, hang on a minute, I do do belong at this, this, this level. I've got a lot of work that I need to do in my game. But if I keep putting all my best foot forward, keeping getting up every morning, trying to be the best athlete I can, I think I can compete with these guys.
0: You were selected in the first ever Mercantile Mutual Cup in the season of 97-98 for the ACT Comets. What's it like when you were selected for a big match and does it leave you feeling any pressure?
1: Uh, yeah, there's always pressure to perform. Um, I, I think the, the the pressure that I put on myself was was individual to you, you wanted to do so well. You wanted to do so well for the team. And we were a new team at that time and, and expectations from outside of of Canberra were pretty low um, with where we were. we were. We had no international players. We had um, Merv Hughes come in and play at the back end of his career, which was a, which was a great opportunity for us to feed off. Mike Valletta um, came and coached from WA, but for me, it was a, I was excited about the opportunity to test myself uh, against all the best players around, around Australia, and I knew at that stage I wanted to, to make cricket a career. So it was a great opportunity for, for me to push my case not only um, in with the ACT team to try to make as successful as we can, but also to get noticed a bit and get the opportunity to then come to New South Wales and, and play some cricket. So I, I was more excited um, than nervous.
0: A few years later, you moved on to join the New South Wales Blues, which what impacted that decision to make the move to the Blues?
1: Yeah, that was that was an obvious decision, um, that uh, Canberra Cricket's never had a first-class cricket team. Um, we well, are lucky enough, as I said, to to go on the Mercantile Mutual for a couple of years and, and I was very lucky we were in the right place at the right time to play there. But my end goal was always to to get an opportunity to to play for New South Wales. Um, growing up, I always wanted – I just wanted the opportunity to play one game of the SCG um, yep. and in the end to – to play as, as many games as anyone's played for, for New South Wales and to call SCG uh, my home ground, um, I was pretty honoured.
0: Um, you made your first international appearance for Australia in two, early 2001 versus Zimbabwe in an ODI. Um, what was that international cricket debut like and what is it like when you first walk onto the ground?
1: Yeah, I was only young then. Um, we, we had the, the likes of, of, of Steve Waugh, Mark Waugh, Andrew Simons, Matthew Hayden. The great Shane Warren McGrath playing, so I remember um, walking in and just seeing all these greats around the change room, and and where I was was lucky. A lot of those were were teammates of mine from New South Wales, so there's some familiar faces. But I, I can just remember the jump in intensity, um, with everything you had to do, the the scrutiny you had from the crowd, the even the lead-up with your media build-up and all the different things that go with being an international cricketer. And the one thing you can control is how you're going to present yourself for the game. And And I remember sitting sitting in bed that night excited about getting my first cap for Australia. But there's also things going through your head. Well, am I ready? Is it the right time for me to be playing? Can I perform at this level? And and then just be able to let all that go and, and go out and enjoy the moment of, of, of having your first game um, of cricket for Australia, which was, um, which was a win to Australia over Zimbabwe.
0: Can you take us through the day of your ODR debut?
1: Yeah, I, I remember we, um, we were bowling first. So it was um, I remember um, crouching down with Mark Waugh next to me in, in slips. I had Glenn McGrath at the top of his mark and Damien Fleming um, about to steam in. So it, it, it was like a, it was a relief to finally get that opportunity because a lot of, a lot of work goes into to getting picked for Australia, not only for myself, but it's also a really proud moment for the people along the way. Your, your family sacrificed a lot to, to get you to that stage. Uh, your mum, as you would know, driving you from one sport to the other than picking up and making your lunch and dropping you the next. So it was, it was just a really proud moment for everyone involved.
0: Um, you mentioned before playing with guys like Matthew Hayden, Shane Warne, Steve Waugh, Mark Waugh, Damian Fleming. Um, what's it like to play with those kind of guys straight up on in your debut? And um, what kind of support or like relationship do you have with them?
1: Yeah, they, they were great. Um, some of those guys we just spoke about there are great to the game. But I think the one thing that stands out to with, with me most about those guys is is how welcoming they make you feel. Once you're selected for, for Australia, you're, you're all, all of a sudden you're part of this unique family. There's only been about, I think, about 450 people have played test cricket for Australia. I was number 400. I was a uh, number 144 player to, to play one-day cricket for Australia at the time. So that, you're part of a, a really unique family and, and all the history and heritage that go, goes with that was, um, was just a great honour. So those guys make you feel part of it. They explain to you what it means to, to be part of the, the Australian cricket team and, and, and the pride you have, we have in that, that baggy green or that baggy yellow.
0: You made a stumping in this ODI debut. Um, what kind of pressure does your first stumping take off you and does it allow you to play more freely?
1: i tell you the pressure it takes off me. I fumbled it a little bit, actually. It was off Shane Can- Warne. Um, and as we know, the Shane, great Shane Moore, and you don't want to miss any chances off him. I remember crouching down, keeping, and just thinking, wow, well, imagine if I get a stump in off Shane Moore. Imagine if one just slides past the bat or someone plays around. And next thing you know, I think it was Alice Campbell, ran down it and got beaten on the outside and just bounced a little bit more. But I didn't panic. And I got the ball back in time. I remember when we were in the huddle just thinking, waiting for the third umpire to rule on the decision, I was just thinking, please, please don't (laughs) allow me to miss dumping off Shane Warne.
0: You were introduced to a T20 international cricket in January 2006. How do you have to adjust your game to a different and shorter style of gameplay?
1: Yeah, it's, it's more you have to adjust your mindset, I think, I think, Still, the basics of the game are the same. You've got to make sure you're in a balance and power position to hit the ball. But it's more of a mindset change um, and getting used to um, changing from one format to the next. So I remember first playing 2020, we're all a bit, it's all of a little bit of hit and giggle and a bit of fun. And, but now it's become much more oh, bigger business. It's another form of the game now that you can represent in Australia. There's some lucrative league, leagues over the world where you play against the best players in the world and put, you, put yourselves under, under a lot of pressure outside your comfort zones of playing at home. So it was a pretty exciting time. Australia didn't probably take 2020 as serious as other countries till, till a lot later. Um, but now it's, it's, um, it's a huge format of the game.
0: Um, 18th of September in 2006 the DLF Cup yourself and Mark Hussey put up a partnership of 165 runs which at the time was a world record for the six wicket in ODIs can you tell us about your mindset throughout this partnership what kind of relationship you need to have with your batting partner to produce a score like that one
1: yeah I remember that that was in Malaysia um, I remember it um, being extremely hot but the big thing was the humidity. I remember through the wicket, and Mike Hussey and I prided ourselves on on running between wickets and being as fit as we possibly can. But trying to get breath in at that time over there was it was tough work. But but having the opportunity to to bat so deep in an innings with with Mike Hussey was was a great learning experience. We'd played a lot of cricket to, together um, together and against each other in state cricket. So. I remember us being on a little bit of pressure at the time and, and just trying to take the game as deep as we possibly could. But it was also just a, it was a great opportunity to, as I said, to, to bat with Huss and, and just feed off the energy and the love that he had for the game. He's not called Mr Cricket for nothing.
0: <laughs> you made your test debut on the 22nd of May in 2008 after Adam Gilchrist's retirement. Was there any pressure on you going into this debut as you did have big shoes to fill of Adam Gilchrist?
1: Yeah, I think there was one thing I decided early in my career is is I had to forge my own identity. I had to make sure um, I had a unique skill set that I brought to the game. Because if I tried to to be Adam Gilchrist or, or someone not myself, I don't think my game would have would have gone in the direction it did. Adam Gilchrist was arguably one of the best players we've, we've ever seen play our game, and. His success probably changed it for, for a lot of wicket... Well, it did. His success with the bat and with the gloves changed how wicket keepers were perceived around the world. So you couldn't just be someone um, comfortable with the gloves and contribute now and then with the bat. You, you had to be a true all-rounder. And and I think that's one thing in Adam's legacy he can leave. He, he made everyone grow that standard of, of what it had to be to, to be a wicket keeper batsman. So for me... I just had to make sure I did what I did really well and not worry about um, trying to be someone else because if I had to did that, I would have had a really short career.
0: Can you take us through the week and the moment that you got announced in the team in the lead-up to your Test debut?
1: Yeah, I can tell you... I can tell you... I, got, I remember my family just flying over the morning of the game so I could see them in the grandstand. I got um, my baggy green presented to me by by the great Ricky Ponting at the time. So that, that was pretty special. But I'll tell you a funny story that, that came out of that game. I, I was playing with one of my great mates, Mitchell Johnson. Um, and, and as we know, Mitch has terrorised opposition all over the world and oh. with, with his yeah. pace and um, um, how aggressive he was. But sometimes his radar could go a little bit off. And, and I remember being that excited about playing. And about the third over in, Mitch has bowled a big wide down leg side. And I thought I was Superman. I'd just been picked for my first Test match, and I was excited to play. And I thought I could dive and reach. And and as I dived, the ball was just out of reach, and it just caught my my ring finger on the on my right hand on the way past. And and as a wicketkeeper, you know if you've just bumped your finger or you've broken. I knew straight away that I'd broken my finger. So I'd waited ten years to get the opportunity behind Adam Gilchrist. I was all excited about playing for Australia, and Third over in, I'd, I'd broken my finger. So I, I walked across to Huss at Gully. And I said, Huss, I've broken my finger here. And you expect some sympathy from your teammates. Are you all right? Um, you want me to call the physio? And the only advice Huss could give me, he said, do not walk off the field because I'm the reserve keeper and I'm not picking <laughs> Mitchell Johnson. So I didn't get much sympathy from my teammates.
0: You played in the 2010-11 Ashes series where you scored 360 runs for the series and had an average... Batting average of forty five, in what was a great performance from you. However, the Aussies did lose that series three to one. What does that do to a team in terms of their attitude and mentality heading into the next Ashes?
1: Yeah, it's a good one. That one is that as an Australian cricketer, a Test cricketer, you're judged on a lot of what you do in in Ashes. um, In Ashes cricket, it's probably outside the World Cup. It's a it's the pinnacle of any Australian to be involved in a in an Ashes campaign, and it, it, was, it was gut-wrenching. But on the other side to that, to, to be involved in the series, the, the whole theater around an Ashes campaign is different to, to anything you've ever played. The, the whole theater with how, how everyone gets involved, the Barmy Army, and just how, how much the countries both embrace, embrace that fierce rivalry. So to, to be involved in an Ashes campaign was an amazing experience, and being involved in one, and losing one, all I wanted the opportunity was to play another and get that little earn.
0: You were asked from the test team in 2012. How did this affect you and what did you do about it?
1: Yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, that's, that's the time when um, my daughter got sick and I had some time out of, the, out of the game. I walked away from cricket for about 12 months um, and, and she was diagnosed with cancer and I wasn't sure whether I was going to ever get the opportunity to, to come back. Um, but I got the opportunity to, to come back and, and play a few few more tests, tests. but it, it's like anything if, if you're left if you're not playing there, um, you've got to make a decision where you want to do all that hard work and, and roll up your sleeves and, and take yourself to those dark places to, to be great again. So yeah and, and that was my mindset.
0: You were recalled to the squad for the 2013 Ashes series and named as the vice captain and wicketkeeper. During the series, you set a new record for the most dismissals by a wicketkeeper in a test series with 29 dismissals, all of which were caught straight off the bat. How is this possible and what does it do to you? What type of confidence and does it do to you as a player when you start to get um, on a continuous roll like that throughout a period of time in a series?
1: Yeah, where where I was really lucky at the time, I I had an unbelievable group of fast bowlers. You, You had Ryan Harris, you had Peter Siddle and... And those guys could just find the edge of a bat. Um, so I was lucky enough to be the benefit of a, of a really good bowling, um, a really good bowling attack. But I, I didn't really know too much about that record until I was going into the last test match. And Rod Marsh held it before me. And at the time, he was an Australian selector. And he said, oh, you only need a couple more catches to um, break my world record. I said, oh, "Okay." okay. Then I had a look at it and the analyst showed it. And, and I remember taking the catch and having a little beer with Rod Marsh afterwards and, and get him back to my room. And he, he'd left a bottle of champagne signed and, and congratulated me with a, with a card afterwards. So I thought that was a really nice gesture.
0: You're a big part in the winning Ashes series in 2013-14 back in Australia, collecting 493 runs for the series um, with a score of 118 runs in the first innings of the Adelaide Test. How did yourself and the team celebrate regaining the ashes since 2006 2007 since that is a large period of time of not regaining the ashes
1: yeah, you're right. and
0: what's it like to play in a series like the Ashes?
1: Uh, that was his most exciting um, time in my career um, just to just to finally get the opportunity to to win the ashes and and win it it was a pretty unique series. We won it 5-0, but we kept the same 11 for all five matches, which is which is pretty tough, especially on our fast bowlers um, who do a tough job and they're there week in and week out. So uh, the buzz around the country was enormous. Um, I hadn't played cricket uh, back at home for a couple of years because I had that break um, out of the game when Mia was six. So that was the first time the family had an opportunity to, to come back and watch me. So... It's a pretty emotional time for, for everyone. But from a team point of view, it was, mate, it was just really, really exciting the way the whole country embraced the Ashes and the Australian cricket team through that month.
0: Uh, you announced your cricket retirement in 2015. Why did you retire and what was your original outlook on um, your years and life after cricket?
1: Yeah, I, 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 it was an easy decision. Some people um, say retirement. Retirement can be a tough decision, but I'd exhausted all options. I, I, I thought I'd give, given everything I possibly could to the, to the game. I wake up every morning trying to be the best I can. Think of ways I could be better and better, and keep challenging myself to, to be great. And, and I remember I was really ready for retirement. I, I was content with what I'd done in my career. Um, I had three young kids at, at home that that needed some time uh, to, to see their dad too. So I, I was really. Um, content with everything, I've zero regrets um, about any of my playing career, and yeah, I'm just I'm just really enjoying our retirement.
0: Um, you went on to join the Sydney Sixers in the BBL. What was your view on playing in the league, and why did you decide to join the Sixers over, you know, any other team in the BBL? Um,
1: oh, I think the the biggest thing about joining the Sixers was that it was at my home ground. It was at, at the SCG, and you don't often. At my age, and to, to get to be involved in something that's brand new, um, and to be involved in franchise cricket and, and start something from the ground up, um, and having the opportunity to captain the Sixers in the first year was was, was really was really an honour. Um, so from that point of view, it was an easy decision, and, and twenty twenty was just starting to to take off then, and for me, it was just the obvious choice to to play my cricket at the SCG.
0: Obviously, you've been coached by Darren Lehman when you played for Australia. What did he do for you on and off the field throughout your career and what kind of person was he?
1: Oh, Darren um, Lehman, he's a, he's a great mate of mine and, and I think that the one thing from a cricket point of view, he understands the game as, as well as anyone I've um, been involved. He, he understands the, all the little little things that, about what it takes to be a great cricketer. He, he challenges you to, to be the best you possibly can be but I think the biggest thing Darren has is he cares about his players. Um, he, he doesn't just care about you on the field. He cares about what you're doing off the field, how your family life is, and and make sure everything's in place so when you get on the field, you're comfortable and perform it the best you can.
0: What was your reaction to that ball-tampering incident in 2018 in Cape Town?
1: Yeah, I think I was like everyone in, in Australia. I, I, we were all a bit a bit shocked. We're all, we all grow up um, with Australia being... Um, the country's number one sport, and and just seeing the disappointment on everyone's faces for, from a, a bad bad decision that that was made, it just shows that the passion that and everyone that everyone has for the, the great game of cricket. So it's good to see all those guys back now, and, and they've learnt the, their lesson. We've all made mistakes um, in our life with, with different things. So it's good that they've learnt their lesson and they've come back now and and really contribute to Australian cricket and and the brand of cricket that they're playing
0: you've recently been in the position of Australian fielding coach and a large part of the Australian cricket team rebuild since that ball tampering incident how did you connect with Justin Langer to be a part of the new phase of Australian cricket
1: yeah that was that was easy um, we all had the same passion for, for Australian cricket and we had all had the same view of where we wanted to to get Australia back to we wanted to a cricket team that Australia was proud of um, and a group of young men that it that Australia we're proud of and and I think we've gone a long way to, to doing that they're playing some really exciting cricket. they retain the, the ashes this year over in the in the uk and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to to India coming out and and just seeing where the team's at um, India are probably the benchmark in Test cricket at the moment. excuse me they got they beat us last time here in australia when we're, we're in a rebuilding sort of phase at the back after after Cape Town so. We're a much more stable unit now. We're playing a really exciting brand of cricket. I think we've got a great leader in Tim Payne who's getting the best out of everyone. So, yeah, I'm just excited and, and as proud as the Australian team, as every Australian is at the moment, but I'm just looking forward to them coming and playing uh, India out here.
0: If you've watched the Test documentary, then you know what Justin Langer is like as a person and as a coach. What's it like in the coach, being in a coaching group with Jale, and what impact um, does he have on the playing group and what kind of person is he like behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, oh, he, he's, a, he's a passionate Australian. Um, he's got a lovely family and he, he brings a lot of those family values across to the Australian cricket team. Um, he's like all of us. He, we want to do whatever we can to to get the Australian cricket team playing the best that they can and, and we want everyone like yourself to, to be proud of the style of um, cricket that they're playing and that's one thing Justin's really passionate about is making sure all Australians are proud of the style of cricket we're, we're playing. So, Max, you can probably answer that. Are you proud of the way Australians are playing at the moment?
0: Definitely. <laughs> They're playing amazing cricket at the moment. Um, what do you do as the fielding... What have you been doing as the fielding coach for Australia?
1: Yeah, I think that one of the main things is you, you're just making sure that, that the guys have, have got their... Their basics ready, so when they're put under pressure in a game, they don't second guess their technique. We we do a lot of catching um, with them with, with with the fast bowlers that we have, and um, and a lot of nick that they get a lot of nicks behind the wicket. So you want to make sure you you're catching the slips cordon's up to standard, and and I, and I think you can judge the Australian cricket team a lot on their identity and the way they present themselves in the field. Um, fielding's one of those things. I don't know if, you, if you've played many games of cricket, but you can sort of drift off a little bit and start to fall asleep. But if if the guys are engaged and, and they're aggressive with the movements and everything in the field, it's a really good sign that you've got a, a good team because they want to work hard for each other. So that's the one thing we try to get through to our players.
0: You must have worked with legends Steve Smith and Dave Warner. What's it like to work with such elite batsmen like them and what impact on their game um, can you bring?
1: Yeah, they're... They're unbelievable athlete. David Warner's probably one of the the best athletes from a cricket point of view we've seen. He's he's powerful across the ground. He moves laterally as, as well as anyone in in the game. And and when he's when he's heads in the game, he can he can really make things happen in the field. And Steve Smith, um, he's got as good as hands as any. We've, I know we've seen Mark War and Ricky Ponting and Michael Clark and those guys catching the slips. But Steve uh, Steve Smith he's also um, as good as any, But my job was just to, to keep pushing those guys to, to try to find greatness, not be happy with where they're at and, and keep pushing them to to raise the bar of, of what the Australian field and looks like. But my job was pretty easy because those guys are pretty driven to be the best they can.
0: Tim Payne, the captain of Australia, what kind of relationship do you have with him and what feel or motivation or drive does he bring to both the playing and the coaching group?
1: No, I have a good relationship with Tim because I think we could keep are all the best blokes in the team. They're all the <laughs> nicest, nicest guys that everyone wants to sit down and have a coffee with. So I think Tim Payne deserves a lot of uh, credit for where Australian crickets out at the moment. He, he came in to captain the team under extraordinary circumstances, but he also put his identity on, on the team as well. He, he wanted to play a brand of cricket that, that, that moved the game forward, that Australia... It was it was attractive to watch, and he came in in uncomfortable time. But I think the way he handled himself and his team, he deserves a lot of credit.
0: COVID nineteen has had an impact on everyone in Australia. What exact impact um, do you think it's had on Cricket Australia, most important important the playing and coaching group?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's been a tough time for for everyone, no matter what, if you're in sport or or, or just everyday life but I think it's impacted people's jobs um the uncertainty around whether whether touring will go ahead when the game will will go back yeah so it's created a lot of uncertainty like the rest of the world it's it's been the same in the cricket ranks
0: um you just told me before the podcast that you were starting in the up as a coach in the IPL um what's this going to look like for you when the IPL does resume and um yeah, what's what do you think it's going to be like for you in, over in India?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm lucky enough to, to be assistant coach at the the Sunrisers with um, Trevor Bayless. Um I, I'm, I'm excited that, as you might know, that the hub for cricket is is India. Everyone there's there's billions of people over there, and the the one thing that they have in common is, is cricket. They've, they've um no matter what um status they have um. Cricket's their number one love and it's like a religion. So I'm looking forward to, to getting over there and embracing what they bring to the cricket, their passion and, and their outlook in the game and, and just enjoying my time over there um, with a very successful franchise.
0: What would be your advice to any young kids who want to become a successful cricketer or coach in their future years?
1: Oh, I, I think the, the one advice that you get from... From even when I started to to now, you've you've got to enjoy the game. Um, there'll be a lot of challenges that come your way um, at different stages of, your, of of your career. But I, I just think the one thing I like everyone to to remember is remember why you started this game. Remember those boxing days out the backyard with dad with a half tape tennis ball. The feeling that used to to give you as a as a young fella, or taking classic catches into the beach or or the pool during the during the hot summer. So. I think the one piece of advice I could give everyone is still never lose that passion for the game. Yes, a can come a job for everyone, but that never lose the reason why we play the game.
0: Thanks, Brad, for being part of the Sporting Max podcast. It's been great to have you on the episode.
1: Mate, it's my pleasure, Max. Thanks for choosing me.
0: Listen in, everyone, and tune in for some more Sporting Max podcasts. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max Please like this episode and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. This episode was brought to you by Becker's Facilities, your one-stop shop for facility maintenance services.